The Ultimate Gift. Anybody see that movie? A few of you? Yes. Good movie, isn't it? Good movie. He discovers that true riches are found in a relationship, not in things and stuff. You know, all he seems to, Jason seems to be interested in is money and, and having real estate and having pleasure and, and all this stuff. And the inheritance that he receives, though, uh, money cannot buy. It's an inheritance that money just simply cannot purchase. It's found in true riches, which are relationships and not real estate. Uh, God, God, knows, God knows what you need. Do you believe that? Yes, you do. Good. God knows what you need. Every, like every hair on your head has been counted. Every, every dream that you have, your purpose, your thoughts, God knows what you need. But I'm here to tell you this morning, for most of you, I know what you want. I do. I know what you want. God knows what you need, but I know what you want because you're a lot like me. And what you want and what I want, what most people want, is what's written on my shirt. The best of both worlds. See, what we want is the best of both worlds, don't we? We do. We want all the stuff of the world and all the fun things that life can give to us, and we want all that God has to offer too. We really do. We may not think we do. We may not be striving after that like consciously, but we are mostly all of us living to have the best of both worlds. Not just money, not just fame, not just fortune, but the best of both worlds. Like, it's like we want our cake and we want to eat it too. Now, I don't know about you, but that, that, that phrase always kind of, kind of made me scratch my head, right? Like, you want, huh? you want, <laughs> you want your cake and you want, to, you want to eat it too. Like, duh, right? Like, isn't that what you do with cake? But here's the, here's the thing about the statement. It's like you want your cake, but once you eat it, you don't have your cake anymore. Yeah, it's a bummer, man. It's a bad system. It's kind of like we want all the money that we can have so we can buy stuff, but once we buy the stuff, we don't have the money. And we want both, right? See, that's what we want. We want the cake, and we want to eat it too, but we still want to have the cake left. Like, it just doesn't work that way. That's not how things happen. We want money, we want stuff, and so the money's gone, and, and, and we just want stuff. We want that Burger King kind of life. Have it your way, right? Yeah. right? That's what we want. We want to be like uh, Willy Wonka, Veruca, right? I want it all, and I want it now. That's kind of how we are. We're like the, the wave of the seas, just tossed back and forth from, from wanting to, to understanding what we really need to wanting to understand what we really need. And we, we go through life struggling with this, you know, wanting the best of both. And someone mo might say, and we probably have all said, why can't I have the best of both worlds? Why can't we? Fair question, right? It's kind of a fair thought to have. It just comes up naturally because we're fleshly. It's fair. Well, the best of both worlds means this. It means desiring two opposite things. Two things that are completely different. Different ways of living, different ways of thinking, different ways of existing. It's like wanting to be fully devoted, all in, paint your face blue, Duke fan, and cheering on UNC at the same time. You just can't do that, right? We just can't do that. No. See, Jason knows. It's just not how it works. You can't do both. Best of both worlds is like, is this desire to have the benefits of two opposing things. 
We want the best of both worlds. And maybe our problem is that we get a taste of this in life. Like we get a taste of having the best of, of lots of things. Like we live here in North Carolina, right? If you, go, if you go to your east, you got the ocean. You go to the west, you got the, you got the hills. Like we kind of have the best of both, don't we? I mean, some ways we have that, like we have things in our life, like we have that hot fudge sundae with whipped cream and hot chocolate and the cherry on top. And you can go somewhere, you know, Dairy Queen now, and you can get that, right? You, we get a taste of what it's like to have it all. And we want that. It's like that American dream that we chase after without even realizing it. And what it does is it spoils us, right? It spoils us. So we, we do get a taste sometimes of the best of both worlds. But when it comes to like good and evil, when it comes to right and wrong, when it comes to heaven and hell, or the spiritual and the worldly, it is impossible, it is impossible to have both. We just simply can't have both. And here's what happens. By chasing after both of them, you lose and I lose the more valuable. And we settle for the lesser. We settle for the temporal. Everything in us, in our flesh, wants both. We want both. But it's completely unattainable to have both. It's a deception to even think you can have both. It's a lie from the devil. Joshua said it like this in Joshua 24. He said, choose this day who you will serve whether you want to serve the gods in this land or the gods outside this land, you know, the idols of life. But as for me and my house, he said, we will serve the Lord. He made a decision, right? John said it like this in 1 John chapter 2, do not love the world or anything in the world. The world and its desires pass away, but he who does the will of God stands forever. Paul said it like this, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. See, these guys, these authors all spoke of two worlds, two separate decisions, two separate things going in two separate directions. James said it like this, he, he went as far as calling us adulterous, you adulterers. He said, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever chooses to be a friend of the world renders himself an enemy of God's. Wow, that's pretty powerful, right? And Jesus said it like this in Matthew 6, no one can serve two masters. Either they will hate the one and love the other, or they'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't serve both God and money. See, we want the best of both worlds. And the devil presents us with a number of, of options. He's the host of let's make a deal, right? Door number one, door number two, door number three, door number four, whatever you want, whatever door you want, you can pick from, right? He's really good at presenting us with all kinds of worldviews and all kinds of options, but the truth of the matter is there's only two worldviews. We've talked upstairs in our class about different worldviews, but there's really only two. God's worldview and the world's worldview, the devil's worldview. And then under his are so many options, right? The best way to confuse the one true truth is to throw all kinds of lies and misdirections in the paths of people, right? Give people all the options that they might want and, and lead them away, lead them astray from the truth. And scripture addresses you, for you and I, this need for us when we find ourselves like longing to have it all our way, 
The scriptures talk about this. You know, it teaches us some things about this desire to, to have the best of both worlds. And there's three worlds that are gonna, words that are going to pop up as we look through these verses. The first one is the word origin, because sin and this desire to have the best of both worlds originates somewhere. And the scriptures tell us where it originates. The second word is the word force. And there's a force in the world that is trying to, spiritual forces that are trying to move you in the wrong direction, wanting you to hunger and thirst for things that are not of God. And the third word is the word law. There are laws at work, both spiritually in Christ and spiritually of the world, that are at work in us, trying to get us to want the best of both World. So we're going to look at some scripture. James chapter 4, if you don't mind, go there with me. James 4, you're going to have to, you're going to, have to open your Bibles and look with me. James chapter 4, this desire to, to have the best of both worlds. We struggle with this, right? James 4, James is pointing out the origin of our desire to have the best of both worlds. worlds, And look what he says in James chapter 4, uh, beginning in verse 1. He says this, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within? You desire, but you do not have. So you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want. So you quarrel and fight, you do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Wow, right? So James is, James is talking about conflict, right? Just look at those verses. He's talking about conflicts and battles that wage war and go against within us, that desire for us to have. He says, he uses the word to covet, to have what is not yours, right? To yearn for something. And we are engrossed in wants, not needs. We're engrossed in what we want. The flesh wants what the flesh wants. And the second thing is, he talks about is that you don't get what you want because it's never enough. It never satisfies, right? You chase after things, and when you get those things, it's not enough, and you want more, and, and there's this constant desire for more. He says, and the results of this in these verses is this, that there's quarrels, and there's fights, and there's like murder, and a lot of evil results from wanting the, what the flesh wants. And then the fourth thing he says in this is that you do not ask. And he says, when you do ask, you don't get it because you are asking for the wrong things. He says, you're asking for wants, not your needs. Our prayer list is full of things that I want. And we spend very little time crying out for what God wants and for what's best, for his will to be done, not mine. Although James says, this need to, to have the best of both worlds originates deep within our thoughts, in our, our heart. We, we want things for the wrong reasons. It originates in wrong motives. We got our eyes set on what we want. 
We got our minds set on what is happening physically around us. And so we begin to hunger and thirst and desire for the stuff that we see, the pleasures of the world. And it originates deep within us, this desire to have. Our desire to have the best of both world, worlds comes. It comes from within us, right? It comes from within us. Oops, sorry. Secondly, there's another passage in Ephesians chapter 2, if you go there at Ephesians 2. Paul, Paul is writing to the Christians, and he's talking to the Christians in Ephesus about what it means to be a Christian and how to live this Christian life, right? How to live the Christian life. And so he gives some insight as to the force, the force for this need <laughs> that we have in us to have the best of both worlds, right? This, there's, a, there's not just this wrong motives that is boiling within us to want what we want, but there's also spiritual forces in place that are working against us to make us crave after the things that we know we shouldn't have, things that we don't need. Wanting the best of both worlds. So in Ephesians chapter 2, the first four or three verses, look what Paul says to the Ephesians. He says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed, look at it, the ways of the world. Two worldviews, right? The ways of the world and the ways of God. He says, you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit that is now at work in those who are disobedient. Verse 3 says, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and its thoughts and like the rest, we were by nature deserving wrath. See what Paul says? He's talking about the two different worlds, right? The world of the flesh and the world of the physical in which we live and the world of the spirit and the world of the kingdom of God in which we are striving to live. He says, first, there's the ways of the world that's operated by the ruler of the kingdom of the air and the spirit of the evil one that is at work in those who are disobedient. They're living against the creator, striving to rebel against what is right and good and true. And all of us, he says, Paul says, all of us once lived there. We once were there. And what we did when we were there was we gratified the cravings of the flesh. We were following our fleshly desires and our thoughts. And Paul says, we were then by nature deserving wrath. When we lived in that world, when we hungered for the things of that world, we were, we were in our sins. And he says, we were in our transgressions. And he says, when we were there, we were dead. We were in the grips of a spiritual force that was controlling and ruling us and we didn't even realize that. And we know, and you know, and I know, that there's many people, friends of ours, and neighbors, and even family members, who are still being controlled by the force of the evil one. They are still living to fulfill the cravings of the flesh. That's how they live their lives. And we, as God's people, we struggle with this because we're human and we live in this world. And we battle the forces that are of the flesh. The spiritual forces behind our need to have the best of both worlds is clearly the evil one. It's the devil, right? It's the spiritual forces in heavenly places trying to force us by their will to obey them rather than God, right? 
That's what is at work in us, wanting to have the best of both worlds. Paul understood this fight, right? We know Paul did in Romans chapter 7. If you go there, Paul struggled with this just like you and I do. And he willingly admits his struggle. I just love this passage, and Romans 8 is a great one as well, because Paul clearly just says, look, I'm, I'm like you guys. I'm just like you. I struggle with this stuff. Paul never claimed to be above it all. He, he, always, he always understood where he came from, where he was, and who he needed. And he clearly was, was very clear and forceful to tell us that that's exactly where he was. And so there, he, he brings up in chapter 7 of Romans that there's a law at work. There's, a, there's a, the origin of this desire to have the best of both worlds. There's this force at work wanting us to have the best of both worlds. And then there's this law that is at work within us wanting us to have the best of both worlds. We want it all and we want it now. Look what he says in verse 14 is where I'm going to begin. He kind of gets into this. He says this, and it's a tongue-twisting section of Scripture, but he says, we know that the law is spiritual. Okay, got that? He says, but I am unspiritual, Paul says. This is Paul writing much after he became a Christian, after he was converted to Christ. He's an apostle, and now he's writing about his faith and his life, and he says, I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. Verse 15, he says, I do not understand what I do. This is Paul, the apostle, who, who has been following Christ and reaching people for Christ and preaching the message of Christ since he met Christ. And he still, even in that period of his life, can say to us, I struggle, I struggle with this. And, I, and he knows where it comes from. And he identifies that. He says, for what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. That's, the, that's, that's, that, that's where the battle is, right? When we find ourselves craving to have the best of both worlds, that's what's going on. We know we shouldn't want these things, but yet we find ourselves wanting these things. And we fight that. We struggle with that. It's a battle within us. It's a law at work. He's going to get to that. He says, and if I do what I do, do not want to do, he says, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me. Did you hear what Paul just said? He said, I know that good itself does not dwell in me as a fleshly person. That is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, Paul says, this I keep on doing. Verse 20, now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see, Paul says, another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. Wow, Paul just said a lot, didn't he? 
Let's go back to the beginning of this little section. He says, he says some things here that might help us realize what's going on in us and this desire to have the best of both worlds. He says the law is spiritual. He says, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. Why? Because we obey sin. That's why. Because we give into it. We allow sin to lead us away. We allow the temptations of the evil one and the forces around us and that desire within us to have its way. And because of that, we are sold as slaves to sin. It's a battle within us. It's between what I do and what I shouldn't do, right? That's the battle. This desire to have the best of both worlds is, no, I know I shouldn't, but yet I go ahead and do it. This battle points me, here's what Paul's saying, this battle, it points me to the law of God and I see in that that the law is good because when we look at the law it's like looking at a mirror and when we see through a mirror the mirror doesn't lie you know it just tells us the truth right it's like man I got problems right here right that's what happens when we look in a mirror but I got I got issues going on you know and that's what the law does it doesn't lie it just tells you the truth it just simply points out the fact And the fact of the matter is God is right and God is true and God is good and I am not. And when I look into the mirror of the law, I realize I am the problem. I'm the problem. That's this law that is Paul's talking about. The law of God is good. He says in verse 17 and in verse 20, look what he says. Sin is having its way with me. Man, oh man, yeah. Right? That's us. That's us in the struggle. Now, we can pretend that we are Christian and we got it all together and, and I'm above all this stuff and I don't deal with this stuff and, and you're lying. To okay? To yourself. That's part of this, what he's talking about right here is that we act as if everything's cool when we know we are battling. We're in this battle. We're in this struggle. And Paul says, sin is having its way with me. Well, I can guarantee if sin is having its way with Paul, it's probably having its way with a lot more people than Paul. Right? In verse 18, he says, there is no good in and of myself. I mean, you see what he says there? Paul is just saying, you know, I'm a believer. I'm a Christian. I've given my life to Christ. But in and of myself, there is nothing good. There is no good. And he already said he was a slave to sin. And he admits, I have a desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. I keep doing the evil that I don't want to do, and I keep doing it. Because of this law that is at work in me, this force that is at work in me, this this origination of these selfish motives that are working in me, in and of myself, I'm a mess. Verse 21 to 23 says, so I find this law at work. And look what he says. First, he says, I want to do good. Okay, all of us would agree, I want to do good. He says, I delight in God's law. Every one of us would agree, we delight in God's law. Paul says, I know what's good, and I want to do that. And then he says, but there's another law at work. There's another law at work in me. Evil, he says, evil is right there with me. Evil is right there waging war against the law of my mind, making me a prisoner of the law of sin that is at work in me. Paul's battling, isn't he? I mean, he's just totally like coming clean with the fact that he is a human being trying to live for the kingdom of God in a world that has been taken over by evil. And Paul's not afraid to say, this is exactly where I am. And we would all admit that we are right there with him. 
if we're honest, will admit that we struggle too. That there's things that are going on in our world, in our life, in our inner soul that we battle. That we battle. There's this other law at work in me, he says. See, these are two, two worlds, Paul's saying. Two worlds are at play here. Both wanting control. Both battling for my allegiance. One is the law of the Spirit of God and life and truth. And the other is the law of the Spirit of evil and death. Both are battling and at work in me. And you got to love Romans chapter 8 because Paul goes on to say, which is the good news, <laughs> which is the good news, even though the origination of this evil and this desire to have the best of both worlds originates in me, in my flesh, and I am, I am a mess because of it, and because there's these forces at work in me wanting to have what I want to have, and because there's this law at work, and it's waging war against my flesh, even though I am in a losing battle, the good news is I have hope, but it is all in Jesus. Every bit of it. He, Paul goes on to say in Romans 8, there's no condemnation then for those who are in Jesus, right? What the law, he, he goes on to say, if you read chapter 8, he goes on to say, what the law was powerless to do because of my flesh, God did by sending his own son. He condemned my sin in the flesh. You know, that's what he did for you. That's what he did for me. Thanks be to God, right? That our hope is only in him. It's only in him. There's a law of the flesh and it's working in me against the law of the spirit of truth and of freedom. This law. See, the problem, the problem with us as humans is that the problem goes deep. It's not a surface problem. It isn't put a Band-Aid on it. The, the problem is deep, real deep. It's like the spring that goes deep within the layers of our soul. And the sinful nature is wanting to take the wheel and regain control at every turn of your life. The old you is wanting to come up off the altar and rule again. In Matthew chapter 4, the devil set out to attack Jesus, remember, and to tempt him to, and to control Jesus. The battle was to get Jesus to follow the flesh, right? To, to turn his reins over to the world around him, to the world of the flesh, and ignore the Spirit of God living in him. That's what the temptation was, to, to put your eyes on the flesh, to sell out for the world of the kingdom of God, and buy into the world of the evil one in this age. For Judas, it was 30 shekels of silver. For Esau, it was his birthright for a bowl of stew. For Adam and Eve, they traded in perfection with God for a taste of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. For mankind, it was that we exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And the enemy is working on you. He's working on you and he's working on me. And what he wants us to do is to exchange with him fool's gold for everlasting life. That's what he wants. And here's what we know. Here's what we know from this. One, our motives are bent on selfishness, right? Our motives are wrong, the wrong. The origination of our thoughts and our actions come from this selfishness within us. The force of evil is powerful and it's relentless. It will not give up on you, even if you call yourself a Christian. 
And third, we find out that there is a law at work, and it's against us. Paul struggled with this, even to the point of considering himself the chief of sinners. At least that's what he said in Timothy, right? That he considered himself the biggest sinner of all. I'm not just a sinner, I'm the chief of sinners, Paul says. And to the Philippians in chapter 3, Paul said that he considered everything a loss, everything on the planet, everything that he'd ever gained as a loss, even rubbish, compared to the knowledge of Jesus that he would gain Christ. Like, like, Like Jesus is the most important thing that he has come to know and learn, that the world and everything else can pass away, but if he would just have Christ, that would be enough. And then he said, not having a righteousness that is of my own or comes from the law, but a righteousness that is by faith and comes from God on the basis of faith. It's not a righteousness of our own. It's a righteousness of God's that he freely gives to you when you grab onto him. And like Paul, we are all left realizing that we are stuck in the mud of sin without Jesus crying out with Paul, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? From these fleshly desires that are trying to drag me down, wanting me to have the best of both worlds. Who will rescue me from that? And the good news is in Ephesians 2, Paul goes on to reveal our only escape and our only hope and our only salvation Remember in chapter 2, he just got done saying that we were dead. In Ephesians 2, we're going to go back there. We were dead in our sins and transgressions. But in verse 4, look what Paul says. The hope that we have is greater than our dilemma. Isn't that good news? Look what he says. Chapter 2, verse 4, Paul says, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. Verse 6, And God raised us up with Christ, and He seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages He might show the incomparable riches of His grace expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Verse 8, for it is by grace that you have been saved through your faith. And this not from yourself, it is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Verse 10, he says, we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. In his kindness, right? In God's kindness, there we are as human beings, living, wanting, desiring the best of both worlds, beginning to understand that these things originate in our own heart, our own selfish motives, be realizing that there's forces that are moving us towards selfishness, realizing that there's a law at work in us, the law of the spirit of death and the law of the spirit of God that's at work moving in us, trying to control us, and we realize that we are wretched people in need of a Savior. And Paul says... God came to the rescue. And in his loving kindness, in his great love for us, now we have hope and we have grace and we are made alive and we have salvation and we're raised up with Jesus. He says, you are saved by grace. God did it. We simply receive it and we respond to it, to God's grace. 
He did it all. It's not of yourself. It's not by works. No room for you to boast about you. You did nothing. You deserve wrath. We deserve to be separated from God forever. But by God's grace, he stepped into your life. He stepped into our world. And it's by his grace that we're saved. You did nothing. He did it all. We simply respond. And without him extending grace to you and me, we have nothing. If we don't have God reaching down to us, we are lost in our sins. It is completely by him. It is the gift, Paul says. It is the gift of God. We are truly the canvas. He is the artist. And he's working on us. We are his handiwork. So Paul says in verse 10, we are his handiwork. And he's working on us and he's shaping us and he's painting us and he's molding us and he's stretching us and he's getting us to be just like he wants us to be and to carry out his good works that he's doing through you, that he wants to do through you, right? His good works through you and through me. And Paul says, who will rescue us? Who will rescue me from my motives? Who's going to rescue me from the forces around me attacking me? Who's going to rescue me from the law of sin and death? And Paul says, thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Because God has chosen to rescue us. See, true riches will never be found in things, right? They simply will never satisfy us long term, ever. You could have all the houses and all the, the planes and all the money and all the bank accounts that you could ever dream, and it will never satisfy you long term. They will spoil and they will waste away and they will fade away and they will become unimportant. They are temporary fixes like drugs and alcohol. And in our desire to have the best of both worlds, one of these worlds is temporary and foolish. Peter said it like this in 1 Peter chapter 1. Check this verse out. Praise be to the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Amen to that? and into an inheritance, get this, that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept not on earth in a safety deposit box, but it is kept in heaven for you where no one can touch it, not even the devil, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in this last time. See, that's the hope that we have. It isn't in us. It is not in us at all. It's completely in God and in Jesus and what he's done for you. The greatest treasure that we need must also be the greatest treasure that we want. Amen. And that's the problem. Amen. We want the best of both worlds. And what we should want is Jesus. Yes. More than anything, right? Only Jesus. Right, only Jesus. And, and I heard a song coming in uh, from, from the house this morning. You've, it's a popular song. Don't ask me to sing it. I can't. But in the song, he says, he, says, he talks about it's only about Jesus. I, I had to write it on my hand. It's only about Jesus. He says in the song, I, I don't care if people remember me. And, and I got thinking about that for a minute as I was thinking about my sermon because that's exactly the problem. We want to leave a legacy. We want to be remembered. We want people to remember our name. 
We want to do something on the planet that people go, oh yeah, remember that guy? He did that. And when we do that, what happens is we begin to buy into the world. We begin to chase after things of the world because the only way to be remembered for who you are is to attach yourself to something of the world, riches or money or houses or real estate or something on the planet so that people remember you by something you have or something you accomplished. And the song says, that doesn't matter. I don't care if people remember me. As long as they remember Jesus. And when we live to help people know Jesus, then we're living for him. And until then, we're living to satisfy our own desire to want the best of both worlds. It's only when we surrender completely to him and his will that his fame would be made known, not ours. That people would remember Jesus because of us, not me, but him. See, the inheritance of money and fame and fortune will fade away. But a personal relationship with the creator of the universe and his son Jesus, who came and died for you, will last forever. Movie clips that matter, right? The ultimate gift. It's not a fortune that will that we will pass away, that will pass away, but, but, but a desire for us to want what Jesus wants for us. That our wants will be what he knows we need and not what we want. That Jesus will have complete control in all that we are. That we would stop wanting the best of both worlds and let go of the one that is connected to time and to the, the, the sands of the hourglass that are ticking away and will one day be gone. We'll stop connecting our lives and our eternity to that, and we will take hold of a personal relationship with Jesus through faith. I wonder this morning, I'm wondering this morning, if there's anyone here that, that needs to do that, that is, that is at a place in their life where you've never given your life to Christ. You've never said, Jesus, I need you to be Lord and Savior of my life. Maybe you've been in the church a while. Maybe you've been, you know God, you've been hanging around the things of God, you know the word of God, but you've never said, God, I want to be all in with you. I hope today will be the day for you. Today will be the day that you like cross over from wanting the best of both worlds to wanting only one. I hope today will be your day. And that you'll talk to somebody about that, like soon, like real soon. Father, we love you so much, and you're so good to us, God. You speak truth to us. You tell us exactly the way things are. Wanting no one to perish, wanting no one to be lost for eternity. And I pray, God, in this room that nobody will be. That every one of us will understand that there's, there's forces and there's laws and there's things that work against us, wanting us to sell out. That we'll be wise together and encourage one another and, and sharpen each other as we move closer to you. God, have your way in us, please. Have your way in us. Help us to make decisions right now, God, that will honor you and bring glory to your name. That your kingdom will grow because we are making decisions right now to give you all of us, everything in us, that we'll be obedient to you, God, that our faith would be in Jesus alone, 
that whatever we need to do next, whether it's to accept you or to repent from our sin or to be immersed into Christ, whatever it might be, God, that will just let you have your way. God, move in us today. Move in us today because the world, the world needs your people. Completely sold out for you. And we want to be those people, God. Help us, please help us. We cry out to you now in Jesus' name. Amen.